Welcome to Talking Tachlis. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki. And this week we have a special episode for you. You know, Rifki, we are deep in the throes of Navi Doggy. Shoulders deep? Shoulders deep at least. There's absolutely no denying it. Would you agree with that statement? <laughs> absolutely. Okay. And you know what that means? Our favorite Chag. Yes, is coming up this week. And that's Thanksgiving. So what do you think about Thanksgiving, Rifki? Thanksgiving is actually one of my favorite holidays. Really? Yeah, with a lot of family and friends who I don't get to see so often. This year, I'm actually off on Friday, which I'm usually not. So I'm excited for the long weekend, you know, get to visit and see some friends. Do you have any plans? What are you doing? Yeah, same. I'm going to be with family and I always look forward to Thanksgiving. I also want to add in, just going back a second, uh, we are brought to you this week again by uh, Drive-In Productions. They're so good to us. They are. New York's premier film production house. And uh, we're in the drive-in production studio right now. It's beautiful and uh, <laughs> amazing equipment, I must say. It's uh, a very professional setup. You guys should see it. Yeah. I also, I wanted to tell you a story. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. I was talking, so I was talking to some, to a friend over Shabbos, uh, talking about our podcast and we were discussing. They hadn't heard about it already? Well, no, this friend actually did. Okay. And we, were, we were talking about the episode and somebody else overheard and said, oh, what's your podcast about? What would you talk about on the last episode? So I said, well, um, we had this professor from, from Cardozo and he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times and the guy stops me. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't know this was like an intellectual podcast. Never mind. Yes. I'm sorry I asked. Yes. So yeah, apparently. It's finally happened. Yeah. Some shows are, have a slogan, the show where they talk to interesting people. That sounds amazing. I would and, love to listen to that. Well, ours apparently is the show where we talk about intellectual topics. Yes. Finally. Yeah. Let's just embrace we it. We belong in that ivory tower. I've always thought so. Okay, so with that having been said, we thought that this week would be pretty cool if we came to you with a Thanksgiving-themed episode. Well, what does that mean exactly, a Thanksgiving-themed episode? Thank you for asking, Uri. Mm-hmm. I think what, I, what we mean by that is we are Jews, in case, in case anyone listening isn't sure, we are Jews who live in this country, and Thanksgiving is one of the few holidays that we, as Jews in America actually celebrate an American holiday. And the question at that point, when it comes to being Jewish in America, is what that even really means. What are our obligations back to our country? What does it mean for us to be citizens? It happens to be also that last week, Jerisha hosted a full day seminar um, in memory of Jack Flamholtz, who actually is a family friend from Teaneck. Um, and what they talked about is really being a Jew in America today. So when we're thankful to this country as Jews... The question is, how do we express that thanks properly? Right. How what does should that mean we in express real life? that thanks? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's, I think, the, the starting off point for our discussion today. So this is a very rich topic, and there's really a lot to talk about. Um, but we thought we'd focus on two particular aspects of this conversation. So the first thing we want to talk about is the question of what are our obligations as citizens, and more specifically, as Orthodox Jewish American citizens. So Rifki, what are our obligations? So Dr. Rifka Schwartz, who spoke at the Yomi Unit Jerisha last week, she actually articulated a very specific vision of what your obligation is as, as a citizen. And her starting point was taxes are not enough. Voting is not enough. Actually, well beyond that, you have an obligation to be calling your Congress people, to be showing up at town hall events, making your voice heard. You have an obligation to be civically involved in your community. That's your responsibility as a citizen of the United States. Another point that she said that I thought was very important is that her argument was that if you vote, and now let's specifically talk about voting, if you vote specifically in your own self-interest, 
then you are a bad citizen, right? It's a pretty strong statement. And let's break it down for what that looks like, right? If I vote for a candidate because I think that candidate is going to be better for Israel, I am a bad citizen. If I want a tax break for home ownership because I am 31 and about to buy my first house and this politician is offering me that tax break and that one isn't, then I am a bad citizen. That is her fundamental argument. So are you just quoting her or are you basically agreeing with that? Because I want to know who I'm disagreeing (laughs) with. Okay, you know what? Let's make it me. I agree with her. I believe if you vote in your own self-interest, then you are a bad citizen. We have a moral and civic responsibility to look out for our community and not only for ourselves. Okay, so I want to just go back for one second to the first point because you made two, two points. The first one was... Just paying taxes and voting are not enough. That doesn't make you a good citizen. So I want to say that doesn't make you a perfect citizen, (laughs) but paying your taxes and voting already puts you ahead of probably, what, half the country at least? I'm not going to set such a low standard, though. You can say it doesn't make you a perfect citizen, but I don't think it's fair to say that doesn't make you a good citizen because I don't... Okay, so let's say it differently. Let's, Let's ask the question, what does an ideal citizen look like? It's true that probably we're all falling short of that, but let's make the question, what should a citizen be? Okay, well, I think that brings us to this to the second point, which is a lot more interesting, which is the claim that voting in one's self-interest is bad and you're a bad citizen if that's what you do. I mean, I think there's different levels of that. If you're if what it means to vote in your self-interest is that whichever candidate allows you to keep more of your money, that's who you vote for. I don't think that is necessarily evil. I don't think it's I think it's selfish. It's not very nice. I don't know if it, I wouldn't go far as to say it makes you a bad citizen because I think that's your right as a citizen to vote for however you want. That's what a democracy is. We're not talking about rights. We're talking well, about sort of like social responsibility. Well, more importantly, I would say the other example that you gave specifically Israel, I don't see that. I mean, you could call it selfish, but I think it's a different kind of selfish. And I think voting in your self-interest in that sense um, is, first of all, what every group and individual in America does. They vote for the issues that are important to them. And I think what I would say is that, yes, as citizens and especially as Jews, we should be thinking about the greater good, quote unquote. We should be thinking about other people, not just about ourselves. But if helping others is going to harm ourselves, I don't think there should be any guilt involved in shying away from that. And when it comes to voting, if somebody sees a candidate who is, in their opinion, much better for Israel's security uh, and safety, I don't think it's fair at all to say that that person should vote for the other candidate because on other issues that other candidate is better Dr. for Schwartz other groups. Dr. Schwartz uses that specific example of uh, someone who she thinks of as we would like to think of this person as a complete modern orthodox success story, uh, went to yeshiva day school and then went to a good college, went to a good graduate school, has a doctorate, now working the top of his field. And he recently was speaking to Dr. Schwartz and he said to Dr. Schwartz, he only votes based on Israel. And she thought that there was a fundamental problem with that. She at first had trouble articulating why, um, but then spoke about it more in the speech. And by the way, you can find all of these in the Jerisha website. They're very, very interesting talks um, from the Yom Yun last Sunday. Um, but I think she's completely correct here. I okay, think that it, if we're only voting just, just based on... 
is it Israel because Israel's a foreign country or is it Israel as a stand-in for any one issue voter? I think it's Israel as a stand-in for any one issue voter that affects your micro community and does not affect the Klal. I just think it's very unfair to hold people to that standard. If it's something that people see as so central to their identity and as a life and death issue, I see no problem whatsoever with that being in the same way that if somebody is from Mexico and their one issue is immigration, specifically like Mexican immigration, I completely understand that. And even though that only affects a small percentage of the people in this country, that's an issue that they have a right to care about. Of course they have a right to care about it. No one's saying they're not, they're not allowed (laughs) to care about it, but the idea that you're voting based on one thing when there can be a million other things. Okay. So let's say, let's take your argument to a real extreme. Okay. Roy Moore, right? Let's say Roy Moore was a staunch pro-Israel advocate. Would you say, okay, so, all right, he's a pedophile and he's a creep and he's a liar and he, all of these things. Well, you could say those things about, I don't know about the pedophile specifically, but the creep and the liar, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, good good case to (laughs) be made there. You're comfortable saying that? Okay, I think that's a very fair question, and it obviously relates to our president as well. And that's actually... Not my president. (laughs) Hashtag. And that's actually a conversation that we're going to have that I I really want to have on a different episode. The question being... Does voting for a bad person make you a bad person? But we're going to save that one for another time, and we're going to move on to the next segment. If anyone has thoughts, by the way, please email them to us. Yeah, of course. TalkingTalklessPodcast at gmail.com. We'd Any love to hear your thoughts. thoughts you have, we'd love to hear. Don't want to be an American idiot. Don't want a nation Let's move on to the the next segment of this overarching topic of Thanksgiving and what are our obligations in terms of being thankful to this country. Sure. This next one also comes out of uh, Dr. Schwartz's talk. She had a lot of really fascinating things that we're not going to be able to address today. But the this conversation was about the idea of meritocracy. Meritocracy is this structure or system in which talented people move ahead in life based on their achievement. It is not based on who their parents were or where they were born or the color of their skin. It is purely based on their merits. And that's the idea of meritocracy. And the question that we want to address here is whether meritocracy really works. And I want to talk about this specifically from a Jewish angle, Mm -hmm. but the idea of meritocracy in general, does meritocracy actually exist in America today? Or what do you think? I think it's a I think that question has to be really honed in on and specified. I mean, to me, meritocracy is the essence of the American dream, the way I understand it. And the American dream says that if you work really hard and you really want something, you have the ability to achieve it. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed to achieve it, but the system is in place that you, it, the doors are open to you and the, the opportunity is there and you're not going to be held back because of your race, because of your religion, because of your beliefs or anything like that. That's at least the idea of it. So what do you, when, you, when you ask, is it real, what exactly do you mean by that? Are you, are, you, are you saying it's impossible or are you saying it's very possible, it's just that there are systems in place 
preventing it from functioning properly. So I think the way that you defined it, I think is a is a really is a really good one. That that really is the American ideal. The American ideal is that you know it's the self made man, right? It's the person who works really hard and achieves their dream because they worked really hard. They came to the country penniless, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of us, a lot especially you know a lot of us in the American Jewish community can really talk about our grandparents and our great grandparents and really being part of that culture. You know, my grandfather came to New York after the war. He didn't have a penny. He spoke a little bit of English and he was a survivor and he worked really hard. And, you know, now, thank God, he is retired and living in Florida. He can never have imagined that, you know, 75 years ago. Um, The problem with this system, though, is that the idea of meritocracy doesn't include some key factors which are really responsible for people rising to the top. I am not denying that merit is critical. And in America, in a lot of, in, a, in America, more so than in a lot of other countries, that has really been the case. But there is, there are also other elements, right? Luck like is a huge factor okay. here, right? The idea that I had parents who sat with me every night when I had trouble with my homework or I didn't really want to do my homework and they made me and they and they forced me kind of to study. To The only reason I got okay grades is because of my parents. Right, so I, I got lucky. I think it's interesting to call that luck. Not to get too bogged down in terms, but I just think defining terms is very important anytime you're having one of these kind of uh, conversations. I would say luck is being born with good genes, is being, you know, having a high IQ. That's luck. Having parents who were very, you know, give you a lot of attention and love. They're and, not mutually exclusive. No, it's, it's not. I think it's different levels of, uh, you know. Sure. Cause, cause calling it luck makes it sound like, you know, it's completely arbitrary and it's out of out, the blue. What I mean by luck is it's out of my hands. It is not because I worked really hard at bio that I got an okay grade in bio, which, by the way, I did not. It's, but the only it's reason. It's not because that? It is not because I worked really hard. It is because my mother patiently sat with me when I was having freakouts because it was so hard. And she worked it through with me. And so then I work understood. Hard? Working hard is nowhere near enough. That's what I mean by the limits of meritocracy. Working hard is important, but there are also so many other elements. And when we talk about meritocracy, we tend to forget all those other things. Well, right? By the yeah, time you get to the reminds, point of succeeding, of you remember how hard you worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. If you were successful, somebody along the line gave you some help. There was a great teacher somewhere in your life. Somebody helped to create this unbelievable American system that we had that allowed you to thrive. Somebody invested in roads and bridges. If you got a business, that you didn't build that. You did not. Somebody else made that happen. The internet didn't get invented on its own. Al Gore. Government research created the internet, so then all the companies could make money off the internet. Okay. But the idea of this is so absolutely accurate to say that meritocracy means merit, arrow, success. Well, I mean, Rifki, I think we definitely are in agreement that no achievement or success can be solely credited to ability and and hard work. I think we both agree that there are a lot of factors. You sound just like Obama. I've always thought that. (laughs) You didn't build that. There are a lot of factors involved. And uh, I think we're in agreement on that. When it comes to the Jewish element of this, what do you what would you say are the particularly Jewish aspects of this concept of meritocracy 
and its limitations or its discontents, as Dr. Schwartz put right. it. Okay, so let's let's use Dr. Schwartz as a starting point, but I want to move away from that, especially because she didn't say things exactly this way, and I don't want to put words in her mouth. Right. I don't want her to be listening to this and be a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> she's obviously a listener. Oh, of course, she's a huge fan. Okay. Um, we gained access from things being opened, a lot of it from merit. But as generations go on, we move further. Again, it, it's always a sliding scale, right? It's always somewhere in between. It's never 100% luck or 100% merit. But as the generations go by, we move further away from it being merit-based, and there's a lot more elements to luck. I think the question is, if you're bringing in, like, let's say, the institutionalized racism or discrimination that, you, that you've alluded to, you know, first of all, a lot of that at least in the past, apply to Jews as well. So it's Absolutely. certainly something that Jews should be very sensitive to. Historically, Jews have had a very difficult time. We've really, really struggled. Schwartz is on a Yid. You know that That one? is definitely MS. But <laughs> let's say, right, the last 50 years in America have generally been very good to us, right? And there have been, there are a lot of different reactions to sort of like what we do in this world, what we do in the reaction to the past 50 years. I think there are two sort of pretty major streams of the Jewish reaction to that. One of them is, oh my God, we have struggled so much. We finally made it, but we understand the pain of what it is to be discriminated against, what it is to not be able to get the things that you've earned. You work really hard and you still don't get it. Therefore, we have a responsibility to give back, to help those other people, right? That is one side of it. I do think that is a very strong current in our community, which I'm pretty proud of. But the other current, which is also a very understandable one, or it's a very emotional, reactive one, is we have been discriminated against for so long. A, who's to say it's not going to turn against us in the future? And B, finally, we have a little power. We have to protect ourselves because we know that no one else will. And we have to we have to hoard that power. We have to look out for ourselves. And that reaction, though I definitely understand it, I understand it emotionally, I think is a very dangerous one and one I'm really not comfortable with. So when you say, well, yeah, of course, the I first one is so obvious to people, I'm not sure that it is. Okay, well, it's hard to put thoughts and words into other people's mouths and minds. Um, I, I love doing it. I don't understand I the issue. I think the word hoarding is very strong in that context. You're creating a little bit of a straw person, as sure. usual. Um, I don't personally think that way. And I think a lot of thinking, thoughtful, reasonable people also will readily acknowledge their quote-unquote privilege and the, the luck that they had. And I think, I think for Jews to be wary based on the last 2,000 plus years of our history, to be wary that at any moment things can turn, I think is completely reasonable and, and Very fair. understandable, 100%. I think for the most part, we're in agreement that uh, as Orthodox Jews in this country, as people in this country, we have a lot to be thankful for and we have an obligation to give back. What I will say, and I don't know if we necessarily disagree about this and we can get into this in future conversations, but I think where I draw the line of the obligation to give back, uh, specifically when it comes to voting, but in other ways also, I don't see an obligation to do that in a situation where it's going to harm ourselves in terms of policy, in terms of Israel, uh, and some other things. Vouchers? See, we'll discuss that at a different time. Sure. <laughs> There's lots to say there. Keep it doped with religion and sex and TV. And you think you're so clever and classless and free But you're still fucking peasants as far as I can see A working class hero is something to be 
working class hero is something to be. I guess that was our attempt at a, a Thanksgiving-themed episode. I'm not sure if that completely succeeded, but, you know, we're trying. Next year, I think we'll really nail it. Are there any, like, pop culture, uh, Thanksgiving-related things that you particularly uh, connect with? Um, I think there are two... Th- the truth is, I love anything pop culture. I'm an absolute sucker, and I love Thanksgiving, so combination is, is, a, is a killer. Um, but I would say that t- my two favorite things, one is the TV show Friends, which is a little... It's interesting. Now when you watch it, there's things that better that make it a little bit dated, but it's still one it's still a classic. It's still one of my favorites. Every year, I think it was every year, they had a Thanksgiving episode and they were always amazing. They did a Thanksgiving episode that was incredibly clever and quite incredibly funny. I think my favorite might have been the one where uh, Chandler was in a box, but there are there are a lot of great ones. And that might be a tie though for the classic West Wing episode in which CJ has the responsibility of picking the turkey that's going to be pardoned, which mm. is also an excellent episode. Uri, what about cool. you? Well, uh, yeah, I'm embarrassed to say I've never seen the West Wing, even though I have been told that I need to. And Friends I've seen, but I've, I'm not holding enough to know what you're talking about. All but right, it new sounds activity great. For it sounds tonight. funny. Uh, sounds yeah. <laughs> sounds funny. It sounds like you're. It's like 1993, and you're like, oh, it sounds like that's funny. Yeah, I need to check that out. I need you to pardon a turkey. I already pardoned the turkey. I need you to pardon another one. Didn't I do it right? You did it great, but I need you to come out here and pardon another one. Aren't I going to get a reputation for being soft on turkeys? Sir, can you come out here and just get this over? No, I'm not going to just get this. What the hell's going on? They sent me two turkeys. The more photo-friendly of the two gets a presidential pardon and a full life at a children's zoo. The runner-up gets eaten. If the Oscars were like that, I'd watch. Mr. President... Just buy the second turkey. They already sold it. Then there's not much I can do. You can pardon the turkey. The turkey hasn't committed a crime. Sir... CJ, I have really no judicial jurisdiction over birds. I, I like the concept of the fear that people have of going home and having to talk to their relatives about politics and, and current events and the dread that people have of those type of fights. Like, you know, thank God I don't really experience that in my own family sort of like what what we have going here thank god who who thought a communist and, <laughs> and a capitalist could talk and have a real conversation a um, real inspiration yeah but you know you have a lot of funny uh manifestations of that dread in pop culture you know getting back to saturday night live which we spoke about last week you had that sketch last year where the family was uh on the verge of fighting about trump but every time that was about to happen the kid the girl would press play on the adele song and then everybody clip. would just get into it that it, i thought that made like a pretty pretty interesting and well taken point and the sort of the converse of that in my mind is the drunk uncle character that is a recurring was a recurring character on a weekend update and he's sort of like everyone's i don't really have one but everyone's drunk uncle who's just like racist and saying <laughs> crazy stuff and you can't really avoid him and like you know, here comes Drunk Uncle again for Thanksgiving. So, uh, Drunk Uncle, are you excited for the holidays? The holidays are not what they used to be, Seth. Nowadays, it's just, hey, could you email me dinner? Hey, hey could you fax me a hug? Okay, well, do you, do you have any advice on how to deal with family? I found out that my niece is getting gay married. You know, you know what I'm going to get her for a wedding present? The boyfriend. Drunk uncle, can we please just talk about the holidays? Occupy Lame Street. As funny as the drunk uncle trope is uh, in our minds, 
I do think, I know Rifki, usually you're the naive one, but sometimes I'm naive also, and maybe I'm naive, but I think there's a lot of value in, in hearing and speaking to people that you don't necessarily agree with, especially if that person is from a different generation. I think it's just also just very interesting to try to understand why they think differently, what is their background, what's making them see things in a different way than, than you might. And maybe we can be a little bit better at uh, trying to understand things from that perspective. Well said, Uri. Thanks. And uh, that's our show. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. Again, we love feedback. Please email us at talkingtalklistpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We want to thank our sponsor again, Drive In Productions. And we also want to thank Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade for giving us our intro, outro music. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.